This episode is brought to you by Affordable Drill Towers. Founded in 2016 by our good friend Steve Sanguidoce, a retired Houston, Texas firefighter, the Affordable Drill Tower was designed and built with functionality and versatility in mind for any training ground. As a standalone training tower and add-on to an existing burn building or connect setup, the Affordable Drill Tower packs a massive punch at an affordable price tag. With over 50 towers across the country, from Massachusetts to California, Montana to Texas, professionally engineered, NFPA and ISO compliant, the Affordable Drill Towers brings the versatility to your training ground. From Main Street USA, the small town fire company in their back parking lot, to the training grounds of the largest metropolitan fire academy, the Affordable Drill Tower fits the bill for price and functionality. Check them out at AffordableDrillTowers.com. And two things I like to talk about also when talking about our friends over at Affordable Drill Towers. One, their customized training program. They have the ability to bring some of the best talent from across the country to your home turf after the install of the Affordable Drill Tower. Designing a customized training program for you and your department, Steve will facilitate some of the biggest and brightest names of the American Fire Service to come in and work with you and your department. And secondly, and I think most important, is Steve's belief in need over greed. The affordable drill tower company gives back to not-for-profits that support organizations in the American Fire Service. Organizations such as the Joey D Foundation, which is near and dear to Steve Sanguidoche's heart, as well as many other not-for-profits that he takes a part of. He takes great pride in providing funding for organizations that push this job forward. So check them out. Steve and Dennis over at Affordable Drill Towers. Send them an email at info at affordabledrilltowers.com. Check them out on social media. And their YouTube page is kicking butt with great information, training nuggets, and information about their towers. So check them out, Affordable Drill Towers, and let them know Jeremy over at National Fire Radio sent you. This episode's brought to you by Ridgeway Leatherworks. Ridgeway Leatherworks is a firefighter-owned and operated business as well as a family-run business, and that's what I love about it. Rob and his family are passionate about their customer service and the quality product and craftsmanship they put out for the emergency services. Rob's been on the show. We've been to his his business. We've seen them in action. I've even tried to hand-paint radio straps. I promise you, it is not as easy as what the final outcome looks like. The product is so good, it's so clean and crisp, and yet, man, it takes that steady hand. Rob's become a near and dear friend of our podcast, and you hear that over and over when we talk about our sponsors, that they're friends, supporters, and that's what this networking community is all about, is supporting one another. Ridgeway Leatherworks, Rob Meyer, crushing it. Quality and craftsmanship is number one. Customer service is right there with it. From custom radio straps, universal radio holsters, chin straps, flashlight holders, anti-sway straps, and locker tags made out of leather, there's plenty of opportunity along the way when you deal with Ridgeway Leatherworks. So check them out at RidgewayLeatherworks.com. Find them on social media, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. And tell Rob you heard about him on the National Fire Radio platform and give them a little pluck and tell them keep up the good work we need to support our firefighter owned businesses and especially family run businesses where his two daughters and his wife help out day in and day out along with his other employees so again ridgeway leatherworks check them out at ridgewayleatherworks.com and find them on all your social media channels welcome back everybody to 
episode 30 of the size up by national fire radio i did not do my what's up intro because it sounds stupid but i also feel like welcome back sounds stupid because uh, i'm gonna get this intro down everybody that listens every tuesday i appreciate you on your tuesdays spending them with me or whatever day you're really listening to this and i'm gonna get an intro i promise if anyone has suggestions throw it over on the social media channels um, I'm sure Jeremy has suggestions for me and I'm not going to listen to his no matter what, but you know, I'm, I'm super stoked today to have, uh, my guest on with me because he is a very busy man for sure, especially recently with a lot of the things that he's done. And he is a filmmaker, a documentarian, if that's a word, if it's not, I just I think that's it. a word. You think it's a word to use jumping? <laughs> I, I love it when they jump. Yeah. I think documentarian is yeah. a word. A, uh, a avid cyclist, which we're going to spend some time talking about, um, a supporter of the emergency services community and an award-winning documentarian. I forgot that. But I want to read a quote before I, I drop his name here that I found that he said online kind of about what it is he does. And I think it's a great way to start this. So he says that telling stories that matter is so much more fulfilling than stories that only entertain. My responsibility in the world is to leave it a better place than when I arrive. And if the films I produce can play a role in that, then I've been successful. Conrad Weaver, welcome to The Size Up. How are you today? Mm, I'm, I'm doing well. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me on the show today. No, that's awesome, man. And, and that quote, I feel like, is what The Size Up is all about. You know mm. that? You know, you got to go internal to figure out what it is you're doing to make the world a better place. Yeah, I think that's everyone's responsibility. And and some of us realize it and some of us don't. And I think for me, if I can do that, then I mean, I've always been one who, yeah, I, I want to make a difference in the world. I want to I want to not not to, you know, promote me, but to make the world a better place, because if we all do that, it will become a better place. Unfortunately, you know, we're not in the world that wants to do that for for most of us. I feel like people get scared of that, though, because they feel mm. like their little things aren't going to make the world a better place, right? Like you need yeah. some grand noir. Right. We don't have to be Richard Branson or, you know, any other billionaire that's out there to make a difference because we can make a difference here, yeah. you know, right where I'm at. I live in a small town. I live in Emmitsburg, Maryland. If you're in the fire service, you know where that's at. You've heard of that. Uh, it's a small town, but I can make a difference here. You know, it, it's the things that, that, that the, it's the small things that matter. It's the small things that, that make the big difference. And I think each one of us can have a part in that, uh, you know, right where we're at. Yeah. And people, people look to me and they're like, oh my God, it's, you know, you're doing all these amazing things or kind of like you making films or, you know, running the not-for-profit mm -hmm. or having this podcast. And just the other day, Tracy and I were at, uh, doing our BJ's run for the week. We, we kept mm -hmm. it under our $200, limit, which is a big deal. That's hard to do. We, we had $200 BJ's limit, a hundred dollar target limit, but the <laughs> target limit thing got lost a long time ago, but we're in the parking lot. Right. And we just finished loading up the car and I just hear like, sir, excuse me, sir. And I'm like looking around thinking, you know, someone's talking to someone else and it's an, an elderly woman talking to me. And I look mm -hmm. over and I was like, Hey, what's up? And she's like, can you help me just lift this case of whatever beverage she had into her car. She's like, I got it in the cart. I just can't do this. Mm -hmm. Sure. And I walk over and I throw it in her cart for her. And I'm like, Hey, and I'll take your cart back because the cart return was right near me. And she's like, thank you so much. I hope someone does something nice for you today. Mm -hmm. And her saying that was like, 
the highlight of my month almost, right? Wow. Yeah. And you it's know, it, and it's those little things that we don't think about yeah. that really make a difference in someone's life. Uh, you just never know what what impact that little thing will have. You know, it could it could start the ball rolling for them that day to have a better day. Maybe they had a sucky day up until then. And here's someone, you know, lifted the drinks into the car and took the, the cart back, you know, and it just lifted their their day to a new place. Yeah. You never know. Go home and, and they tell that story to someone else. And maybe it's her one of her grandkids or her neighbor. And they're like, man, that guy was really nice to, to my neighbor or my grandma. Yeah, maybe I can do something else. And it's just, and you know what, this is it's interesting that we're talking about this, because this is the very thing that we often thought of when we were doing our coast to coast bike ride. Every morning, we would get up and we were in most mornings, we were in a motel room. And we would, you know, I'm a, I'm a person of faith. So I would pray. God, lead me to someone today that I can impact. Help us to have the right connection today. You know, that was our, on our thoughts as we, you know, we're going to ride 60, 70, 80, sometimes 90 miles, you know, on a bicycle. We wanted to have those touch points with people that would make a difference in their life. And we didn't know what, what was going to happen. There's, there's days when we didn't meet anybody. And there's days when we had just amazing conversations with people. So, it's so, so you never great. Know. Like I would, I would have been praying like, God, don't let me die today <laughs> this bike ride. But we're gonna get into the bike ride for sure. We have to talk about the bike ride because that that's gonna take up so much time. But to give the listeners a little bit more about you than just my crappy introduction with the amazing quote that's yours, can you tell everybody some more about yourself and kind of how you got into the place where you're talking to me today? Yeah, so I'm a filmmaker. Uh, I kind of fell into this maybe about 15 years ago. Uh, have a degree in psychology. I thought I would be going down that path for many years and uh, worked in, I worked at, a, at an adolescent program for, uh, in a psychiatric hospital, right out of college. And, uh, but I always had a camera in my hand. You know, I kind of grew up with a camera in my hand, uh, capturing photos. And it wasn't until about 15, maybe almost 20 years ago, uh, I was working for an organization and we started doing some video work and they kind of leaned on me to, I kind of had the creative eye. And so I started doing video work and pretty soon I found myself making documentaries and uh, storytelling became a passion of mine and storytelling that mattered. I, I really focus on films and stories that really make an impact and want that, uh, that make a difference in the world. And so uh, in 2012, 20, actually 2014, I released my first documentary. Uh, the great American wheat harvest still available, still selling on Amazon, which is amazing that people are still watching it as a story about the wheat harvesters who work for farmers and they travel from Texas to Montana, going across the, the central plains in the U S harvesting wheat. And I it was an amazing, one. Yeah, it was an amazing out. little story that uh, really tells the story that most people don't know about, you know, these people who live in their their RVs, they take their families and their dogs and their trucks and their combines and they travel. And so we made that film and that led to the next one, which led to the next one. And, and then, you know, my most recent film is PTSD 911. And uh, we can get into that in a minute, but I love telling stories and stories that uh, impact people. And for me, selfishly, uh, the stories that I tell of these people that I meet along the way, I, I make friends. And so now I have friends literally all over the U.S., people that I've stayed in their homes and many have stayed in my home. And, and it, it's become an amazing adventure for me to go across the country and even sometimes around the world to tell these stories and to connect with people. And I think that's what 
motivates me most is just those human connections that, uh, you know, everybody has a story. Some people's is more compelling and dramatic than others, but everybody has a story to tell. And it's my job to kind of help pull those stories out of people. Well, it's great too, because you said, you know, you, you had that eye for it. And I think that's something that, that folks like you, the creatives out there, they can see where the story is and, and they can pull things out of you. You know, I was really fortunate in, in my little, you know, 45 seconds of fame to work with one of the best uh uh, commercial directors in the business who I had no idea who the guy wearing sweatpants and a t-shirt. <laughs> I didn't even know his name until afterwards. And someone told me like, do you know who that guy is? Mm -hmm. But he was able to pull so much out of me and, and kind of get me to tell my story that I didn't even know what's a story. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like, you know, that's your passion too. Um, and uh, Again, something like wheat farmers. Uh, no, no, yeah, right, <laughs> right. I, but I didn't know that they traveled or they did things, and now I'm interested to watch that because, again, I want to hear that story. You know, I want to see how you tell it. Yeah, you know, and it's a challenge sometimes to to you know when you find a story, you find someone that has a compelling story, and to set up lights and the cameras and and to get them to to tell their story, and especially stories like my last film, PTSD 911. So first responders that are struggling with PTSD, it's a very personal story. And, and sometimes it's, it's, it's a very hard challenge to uh, get them to pull that, you pull that yeah. story out of them. And I feel it's my honor and my responsibility to treat that with dignity and respect and to, to be able to build those relationships with people. And that's really what it comes down to is just building those relationships and building trust. You know, the wheat farmers, you know, when I first showed up with a camera out in Kansas, they were like, you know, who are you? Some guy from Hollywood, you know, I was like, look, <laughs> no Maryland. <laughs> yeah. I, I, you know, I was born and raised on a, on a dairy farm. You know, I, I milked cows in the morning when I was young. So yeah, I've had shit on my boots. And when I said that they were like, oh, you get us. You, you know, know and about. it just built that relationship immediately, that trust. You know, I wasn't some city slicker from Hollywood that's going to, you know, exploit their story, but I was really going to be interested in their story in, in a genuine way. And that's what made a difference, I think, for that film, especially. And that trust, too, and especially with, with PTSD 911, you know, people trusted you with their stories. Yeah. And yeah, I yeah. know from from knowing you now from from being on your podcast, you know, you were looking for folks for a, a long time. You know, yeah. look for the person that could develop that relationship with you and for that sharing end of it, too, because not yeah. many people want to share that end of their story. Um, and we happen to know, I know, I knew someone that you had already had set up for the film, you know, Maddie prior to that. Um, but finding those people in that relationship is, is, is got to be huge, right? Yeah, it is. And, and having them to say yes, and then for them to trust, like in Maddie's situation, I went and stayed with them. You know, I lived in their their home for you know, for days at a time, and that allowed me allowed them to see me, you know, the real me, and and then allowed them to put their guard down and and to say, hey, you know what, this is really happening. You know, we captured a, an episode of Maddie when he was, uh, you know, he had he had a thing going on, and it, it wasn't pretty, and you know, he was really rattled and. You know, I said, hey, Maddie, would you mind if I grab the camera? He goes, do whatever you got to do, man. And uh, we were able to capture this uh, amazing uh, thing that happened that was really traumatic for him. And uh, and that's the opening scene in the film, you know. And But it, if it weren't for that that time I spent there and building that relationship, you know, I wouldn't have had the the privilege to do that. 
Well, even just asking too, you know, you, you now telling me and telling the audience, you know, I asked, can I grab the camera for this? You know, cause mm -hmm. we don't ever get to see the back end of, of these things. I mean, occasionally you do, yeah. um, if you're fortunate to know someone like you and, and you and I've talked about these, but I think that's a big end too, for listeners to understand. And I'm, so I'm all about Ted Lasso and mm -hmm. I'm all about the Emmys now because I want to <laughs> see how everybody does. And I, I did, I love shrinking and I'm mad. I don't know if you watch shrinking. No, I, I haven't um, seen that. So. I can't believe Harrison forward did not get nominated i can't believe I'm not <laughs> anyway we're not going to get into the emmys but i have to be going through like all the different categories and i saw that it's like there's a category for like semi-scripted reality tv <laughs> and i'm like semi-scripted reality tv like not even reality tv yet. right <laughs> i can't think that doesn't seem like the right way to go you know um, but that's not what you're doing. You're doing, I guess, reality documentaries. Yeah, it's the real thing. It's it's, yeah. it's nothing staged. It's nothing. You know, I'm. I was there when you know he had a panic attack, basically. You know, and we captured that the raw, the raw stuff. And I was there on scene when, you know, we were we were on the on the rescue unit and we were going to the scene of a of an accident and. You know, it was a real thing. You know, it wasn't a Hollywood set we were on. It was a real thing. And he had to crawl in this car to help someone. And and we were able to capture that footage. And and to be able to do those kind of things in a real way, in a genuine way, and to to use that to tell his story was powerful. And then his and, story, too, his willingness to share his story. Yeah, because yeah. Maddie is the type of person that is putting... He is the true helper of the helpers. Absolutely. Way to put it, right? Because he's helping the people he works for, the people that are asking him to respond. And yep. he wants to help the rest of us. Yeah. Still while dealing with his own yep. struggles. I don't know if struggles is the right word, yep. but he's dealing with, with what he's dealing with. And so to see him be able to do that is is just unreal. Yeah. And, and for him to be willing to then go to some of the dark places in his life that he went through and the decisions that he made, you know, that were not, you know, not healthy and not good and be able to share that in order to help someone else, Yeah, you know, for that next person who's watching this saying, Oh, you know, Maddie, he went there, but he then asked for help and was willing to, you know, humble himself and say, Hey, yeah, I'm screwed up. I need help. And if, if, if he can do that, then maybe I can do that. And there's maybe hope for me. And that's really the, the, the powerful thing about someone being willing to tell their story. It can make an impact in someone else's life. And I've already had people tell me, you know, yeah, this film has saved my life. Um, and, and that for me is, I mean, that's why I, well, I, that's I, why it, I yeah. do this. Yeah. That's why I do these things. In fact, we had a, we had a screening in here in Baltimore and it was, it was, a, it was an event and we had people from all over the country here and there was a retired uh, police officer from from New York City that came, you know, tough old guy. And at, at, after the screening, he came up to me, had tears in his eyes, and he goes, uh, he goes, thanks for for this film. He said, you made me realize that I need to see a therapist. And there is like, okay. And, and I think too, this is what and I was going to follow with this, but you just kind of made my point for me is with the medium that you're using with the film. Anyone can watch that film and whether they thought they needed help, they didn't think they needed help, or they were just looking for an answer, whatever it is, they can watch that and take something away from it mm -hmm. to know that they're not alone. Yeah. And I think yeah. that's a huge, as much as in, in our, in the emergency services world, we have the brotherhood and the sisterhood, mm -hmm. and all these things. We still have so many people 
who feel that they can't, that they're alone in it. They're alone. Yeah. It, yeah. It's hard to say why. And I don't think it's, it's something again, you and I talked a little off screen before directly related to the job, that end of it, mm. but it, there's a little part of it for sure. But yeah. you have this medium now they can watch this film on their own and, and just see something, you know? Yeah. And I had, I had someone tell me at an event, well, we were talking about the film and he was like, I'm not going to come see your film because I'm carrying my own PTSD. Why do I need to come watch someone else's? You know, it tells me he's not ready. He's not ready to deal with his own stuff. And the reason that you need to come see this is because you will see that you're not alone. There are others who have been, been there and done that and are going through that even now. And perhaps you'll see a spark of something that may resonate with you saying, you know what, maybe I can try that. Maybe yoga is not my thing, but maybe this other thing is. And maybe if I do that, maybe I could get to a better place. And that's what my hope is that no matter where you're at, if you're the crusty old firefighter that thinks, you know, just rub some dirt on it. I don't need this. Yeah, you probably do. You need to come see it. And it may, uh, stir something in you and i've i've had people you can always learn something right you can, you can always learn something, learn something. you should yeah. continually be learning and that's where this is you know i i didn't know i was sleep deprived until mm. until i started hearing people talk about sleep deprivation and what it did for you yeah. and really i was kind of like f you i'm not f deprived <laughs> it's like oh wait maybe i am <laughs> give me another coffee right <laughs> give me another cup of coffee like fuck you i drink seven cups of coffee a day i'm not like i'm good like what are you talking about like that bright light that comes on at 3 a.m that that i feel great when that happens <laughs> now i'm like bright light please don't be yeah. so bright oh, but but those are the things that again that your medium is able to get out there to folks and it, it's one of those things that it, I think too, for, for a film, especially at a film that, that you can watch on your own, you know, you could always stop it, mm -hmm. you know, but you have to start. Mm -hmm. And I know it, it, some of the, the scenes in your film will definitely be triggers for some folks, Sure, but again, sure. You, you can stop that. You have that control to fast forward where if you're in a group setting or you're in a class, it's a lot harder to just get mm -hmm. up and walk out because you don't want to feel bad. And, and I know there's folks that have sat through some programs that they were like, that was the most uncomfortable I've ever been in my life mm. uh, for so many reasons. So again, you have this different medium for folks and it's just amazing. Yeah. You know, and, and just in you know, full disclosure, we're not, the film isn't quite publicly available yet for individuals. Uh, it will be October 28th okay. uh, is our, our, our goal. That's national first responder day. And our goal is to release it on Amazon that day uh, for the general public. And right now it's available for first responder groups for events. We're having events all over the country. In fact, our, 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 our bike tour was a part of, of, of delivering the film across the country from coast to coast. And we were able to do that and uh, had screenings, you know, from Astoria, Oregon to Ocean City, Maryland. And Full and, disclosure, Conrad has invited me to several of these screenings and I get <laughs> to be able to attend. And I feel very badly about that. So he's not, he's not a, a bad dude. I'm just, you know, I'm not dodging <laughs> any of it because I haven't been able to attend any of these. Yeah. Well, we haven't been in New Jersey yet. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, I can go to other states. So that's, that's not my excuse, man. But, but you know, New yeah. Jersey is a great place. I know some theaters. So if we can, we can put something sure. together, maybe we can, we we'll can have to work on that. that. Yeah. We but are, we are doing events around the country, even this fall. I'm doing a lot of traveling. Um, 
in the next few months and uh, really coast to coast again. I mean, we have a small tour in South Carolina. We're going to be out west and California and, and no Nevada bikes, and some of the places. I was going to no say, more you, should bikes. Go, you yeah. should go from Maine. What is it, Maine to, to, Maine Florida, to Florida, like the Key yeah. West or whatever? Like, you know, that's, actually, that for you. that's actually on my bucket list. My first bucket list item was to go coast to coast. And I've done that now. And I've actually been thinking about, you know, there's a highway that goes along the coast all the way from Maine to Florida. So see that, that would get you be... in New Jersey and you'd be good to go. Like, but then, then I'd feel bad because then I'm like, man, I got to go out and ride with these guys. Like, and then I got to put miles on and, and like, hey, know. if two old guys like us can do it, you know, anybody can do it. So all right, Lance Armstrong, we've been talking about this enough, and, and like I, I just had to throw that in there because um, for the folks who aren't watching on um, YouTube, let's say, or, uh, you know, didn't look at Conrad's picture that I have up for the, the episode today because you're in your car, you know. You don't strike me as the endurance athlete that's going to be like, <laughs> by, by coast to coast. Like, and I'm not, there's no, no hate, no anything. Like, you know, it just was one of those things that when you posted it up that you were doing it, I'm like, oh, this should be yep. interesting. So what, what spurred that along? Not just to promote the movie, but personally. What, what, yeah, what? great, great. Well, it's been something that I've been wanting to do for a long time. I'm, I'm kind of a weekend warrior cyclist. You know, I have a, have a road yeah. bike that I would get out maybe a uh, half a dozen times a year you know, in the past and, and ride, you know, I think the most I've ever ridden in one day up until our training was like 50 miles. Uh, but that was rare. That was like, you know, the average is maybe 13 to 20 miles. I'd get out and ride. And, and for the folks and, too, who don't know Emmitsburg, Maryland, and may not even want to think about this, you know, it's not the, necessarily the Rockies, but there are some mountains and there some are hills some hills. in Maryland. Yes. So, so for Conrad to go out for a 50-mile bike ride, he was doing some. <laughs> like, again, not the Tour de France, not the Alps, but there's climbs out there. Yeah, it's not it, it, it's not the nice uh, flat level ground like in South Jersey. <laughs> I have a friend who lives down <laughs> in Vineland. There's very slight inclines by where I live. <laughs> I have a friend who lives in Vineland, and he's like an avid cyclist. And I'm like, yeah, come to Maryland. Yeah. I'll show you what hills are like. <laughs> you could get some speed in Vineland on your bike. Trust yeah. you me, man. When I go into what's Burlington County, New Jersey, I am pedaling up because <laughs> it is just a flat shot. And yeah. then like, you know, a little slight incline. Yeah. So back to your question about what inspired this, you know, during COVID, you know, like all of us, we were kind of locked in the house. And so I started watching YouTube and I found this YouTuber by the name of Ryan Van Duzer. And uh, he has gone, has ridden across the country three times. He's done the Great Divide Trail, which is down through the Rocky Mountains from Canada to Mexico. He has done the Maine to Florida ride. Uh, he's done a bunch of crazy things like that. He doesn't even own a car. He just rides his bicycle everywhere. And so he literally inspired this. And it was because of him that I, I said, you know what? I'm not getting any younger. Now's the time to do it. And by the way, there are firehouses all across the country. There are first responders all across the country in every community. Let's ride across the country, stop at firehouses, maybe stay at firehouses, connect with the first responder community and bring the film to these communities. And so, so I recruited my friend, John, he's retired from the government. I said, Hey, John, uh, do you want to go on a bike ride? He goes, sure. Where are we going? <laughs> and I said, well, how about Oregon to Maryland? And he stops for a second and he goes, okay, I'm in. And it was that quick. And, nice. and so we started training and we're fortunate to get some sponsors on board to, to help cover the expenses and, you know, lighthouse health and wellness came on as our primary sponsor priority bicycles came on as our bike sponsor and gave us a couple of amazing bicycles. And, uh, we did it. We started in Astoria, Oregon on the coast there in the Pacific ocean and, um, over 65 days 
rode all the way to Ocean City, Maryland. And it was uh, an amazing adventure. Everything I thought it would be, and then some. Um, had some, some other stuff on the side. <laughs> we had really sucky days, you know, uh, literally sucking air, you know, going over the Rockies. Um, but but to your point, uh, the, the Rockies are actually easier than the East Coast Mountains because okay. they're they're higher, but they're broad. So they're, they're easier to come up through. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a slower incline, it's a I guess, slower incline, more gradual yeah. incline, more gradual incline. We had, I think our longest climb was 15 miles and, uh, it was up to uh, about 9,600 feet across the continental divide. And, uh, but it was, there was three of us. They had a guy that joined us that day. We kind of, he was also riding across the country and it was three of us. We pedaled up. Now we did have to keep our heads on a swivel because we were told that uh, there were grizzly bears at the pass on top. Yeah. <laughs> and this is so, the last thing I would think about in riding my bike across the country is that a grizzly bear is going to kill me on right. this bike ride. Like, and there were these signs along the road, these, these mobile signs that they put up, you know, digital signs that said, do not stop to look at the bears. And we're like, but what do we do? We're on bicycles going six miles an hour. <laughs> like the bear's going to look back at you. Right. <laughs> so, uh, the, the, of course, it's kind of the standing joke, but all I had to do is ride faster than my buddy, you know. Pretty much it, yeah. I'm faster than you. <laughs> yeah, right. But uh, we, we didn't see any bears, uh, unfortunately, because we would have loved to see one, but we didn't. But uh, actually, so the, guy the, you met too, the guy you met along the way, though, was that planned or did you no, just happen? To no, there's every year there's people who cycle across the country and there there's a common path that, that uh, you know, a lot of people go on. We were on part of that, that route. And uh, he was on the climb. In fact, we had stopped at a, at a ranger station and we're talking to some people and he pedaled by and kind of waved. And, and then we caught up to him about halfway up the climb. And uh, we had stopped for lunch at this lodge and uh, he was there and we started talking and he was like, you mind if I, you tag along for a day and so we rode up the rest of the way in fact we ended up uh, inviting him uh, he was this tent camping and uh we had the privilege of having a, a motel room so we found a hotel with three beds in the room and we uh said hey you can stay with us tonight and so oh, dude, see that again that's at like appalachian trail like i just had a friend do the appalachian trail over a, a time period and mm -hmm. he had stories like that on social media people helping him and him helping others yeah Right? It's that that goes yeah. back to what we just said. It's the little things, even yep. though it's a really big thing. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by the Affordable Standpipe Prop. Let's break it down real quick. Steve and the crew at Affordable Drill Towers is doing it again. They've created this fully custom and fabricated standpipe prop to support the fire service. I'm telling you right now, this is a game-changing piece of training equipment. And I wanna hop into it real quick. It is designed with a four-inch manifold of high-strength galvanized Schedule 10 pipe. The cart and manifold are powder-coated red for a durable finish, meaning it's not just a talking piece. It's not something you tuck away on the shelf. This is a training prop that can be wheeled into the classroom and then brought out onto the training ground. And so let's talk about that. In the classroom, there's nothing better than having a hands-on prop in front of the students, in front of the fire companies that are there to learn about standpipe and FBC connections, having that prop in the classroom allows for a great instructional lecture. And then from there, take the standpipe theory and translate it to the training grounds. You could wheel the cart out that's on casters, you wheel it out into the parking lot, and that same training prop that you just used hands-on in the classroom can now be used hands-on on the training ground by pumping into it and flowing out of it. It offers such versatility in its approach 
It has a two and a half inch Siamese connection, seven two and a half inch outlets, six of which are standpipe valves, has a water motor gong, sprinkler head with a control valve, and a system pressure gauge. You can also upgrade and put three of the most common field adjustable PRVs. I'm telling you right now, this is a game-changing training prop that needs to be in every fire company or training department across the country. Reach out to Steve and the crew. Info at AffordableDrillTowers.com. Ask for a demo. Ask for information. Or check them out on social media and YouTube. There's plenty of content out there that shows you exactly what the affordable standpipe prop can do for you. This episode's brought to you by Taylor's Tins. Taylor and his crew at Taylor's Tins have been manufacturing aluminum helmet fronts since 2017. With over 200,000 tins in the market, they are a leader in the helmet front space. Custom design, one-offs to department orders, they can turn them around within 24 to 48 hours. Customer service is what they pride themselves on, and they provide nothing but top-shelf product and service to their customers. Check them out at taylorstins.com and check out their full line of product offering. They've always been a very strong supporter since day one with the National Fire Radio podcast and platform. And Taylor and his crew have become dear friends of ours, and we appreciate the support. And at checkout, for a little extra bonus, use coupon code NFR sent me. That's NFR sent me for a discount on your order. Exclusions do apply. Anyway, check out taylorstins.com for the latest and greatest offerings from Taylor and his crew. And in the words of Taylor, stop burning up leather. Yeah, it, w- it was cool because he was like, yeah, I'm, you know, I've been in tents, you know, the whole time and sleeping in a real bed and was actually pretty cool. So uh, shower, so he, shower, yeah, real shower. Really yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's where we, you know, we, we had a support crew that had an RV and uh, the Lighthouse Health and Wellness. They had an RV. In fact, uh, three weeks before we left, uh, Joe Ramirez from Lighthouse calls me and he was like, hey, Conrad. I did a thing. It's like, what'd you do? It's like, I bought an RV. I'm coming with you. We're like, Oh, okay. So it was wonderful to have them along because we had some moments where we needed them. Uh, we were in the middle of Wyoming. There was a massive storm coming, thunder, lightning, all you know, wind, all this stuff. And we were out in the middle of literally nowhere. And, uh, we, all we had to do is pick up the phone and call. And, uh, 30 minutes later, they were there picking us up and about, 10 minutes after that, the storm hit with a vengeance and we would have been like, yeah, it would have, it'd have been bad. It would have been bad for sure. It I was, was going to ask you too, like if you had a support crew or what you had out there, because I know yeah. you know, like that man doing it all by himself with tents type of a thing. Yeah. He was alone. And then that next day that we, we were riding with him, we met another couple at the restaurant. We were eating breakfast and they were on a tandem bike. These people were in their sixties riding coast to coast on a tandem bike. So husband and wife, you know, yeah. together as like, I don't think that would have worked with me and my wife. We love each other, but I don't know. Yeah, no, I know it wouldn't work with me and my <laughs> right. wife. We ride, we ride together and that would not work. Yeah, but they actually, they were fast. I mean, here you have two motors on a bike, you know, basically. Yeah. And they, we, we, we couldn't keep up with them. They were so fast. And they ended up doing, ended up in Washington, D.C. like three weeks before we did, Wow, you know. So yeah, they were, they were fast. They were doing so, a lot of training. I'm, let's were, go with the training on that one. The two, the two motors yeah. and they trained a lot. Yeah, right. You know? Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, it was just, you know, the people that we met along the route were, it was amazing. We stopped in this one little town for lunch, at kind of a gas station place. It was the only thing that was there and uh, got to talking to the lady that was running the place. And this old guy sitting at the counter ended up, they were both EMTs, first responders. And so we did, they were just sharing stories. 
you know, stories of their little community and the things, the calls that they've been on and the things that they're doing. And, and, uh, they really appreciated what we were doing. And so we were able to share the love and, and just to connect with people like that was just, uh, an amazing part, you know, experience. Another experience we had, we rolled into Pomeroy, Washington, small little town, Eastern Washington, uh, on, on the snake river and, um, rolled up to the firehouse, the all volunteer firehouse. The chief happened to be there. He was like, what do you need? We're like, like a place to sleep. And he was like, I got a room in the back. You can stay there. Nice. And just like that, we had a free place to sleep, you know? And so we had support like that along the way. And, uh, another firehouse in Walla Walla, Washington, we rolled in just unannounced, just rolled in. And they were like, what are you guys doing for dinner? We're like, don't have any plans. He said, we've been smoking a brisket. I was like, what time's dinner? Yeah. <laughs> and so we joined them for dinner that night. And so it was just that kind of thing we had over and over again, all across the country. It was amazing. How many firehouses did you stay in? We stayed at, I think a total, it wasn't as many as we had hoped for. Uh, I think we actually slept in four firehouses along okay. the way. Uh, one of them was in Des Moines and that one was the one that was, that was, you know, it was fully staffed and operational, uh, but it was in the suburbs. So they had one call that night. Uh, so we were kind of fortunate. They were like, yeah, you're lucky you weren't downtown because they would have had 10 calls that night, you know? And so, yeah, yeah. Right. So we were uh, able to experience a little bit of what you guys experienced in the firehouse. It, uh, so. we actually, early on in my career, we had a French firefighter and his girlfriend stay in our firehouse for like two nights that were doing, you know, I, I really wish I knew where they were going or how they were getting, they were riding bikes for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, and they spent their second night was with my shift and, um, they were really nice to eat with us. You know, he, it was crazy. Like you get, when I showed up in the morning, he's like, you know, giving me a cup of coffee type thing mm -hmm. or like doing housework with us. And I'm like, wait, you're just tourist he's like no no we have to do our part like and he's like cleaning mm -hmm. him and his girlfriend or cleaning mm -hmm. the toilet I'm like that's my job i'd be taking my job um unfortunately one of the reasons i remember that is we unfortunately that following morning we had a, a line of duty death uh, mm -hmm. that we responded to in the next town over and what i was you know obviously an emotional wreck afterwards and i sort of mm -hmm. lost it in mm -hmm. a very new jersey way in front of him and his girlfriend mm -hmm. and came back and after I was able to get myself back together, they were like the first two people that I was like, I'm really sorry for the way that you just saw me behave. Mm -hmm. But he understood because he was a firefighter. Sure. And she understood. But I was like, no, I, you have to let me apologize to you because that mm -hmm. was unprofessional, just inappropriate. It was bad. Mm -hmm. Like I was a mess. Um, but having that kind of as one of those things that I, I remember and having them there, you know, it's got to be the same for the, the houses you stayed in. That mm -hmm. those folks, guys that were there are going to be like, yeah, he's crazy dude in his documentary on a bike yeah. show. Yeah, it was, you know, we'd roll into some place and, and th th they were just like, you're doing what? You know, and exactly. why, You're crazy. you know, and as soon as we'd say, yeah, we're, we're writing for first responders. They're like, oh, well, come on in. Let's talk on a t-shirt. You know, it was just, it just, yeah, it you just kind of, you know, broke that barrier immediately. Cause sometimes, you know, cyclists have a reputation for being rude and obnoxious. And, you know, we so were not that fact, we were, in fact, fact, we were like waving to everybody, you know, on the road, you know, <laughs> in fact, the one day we were riding this trail and we kept counting all the cyclists that passed us that wouldn't even acknowledge us. 
you know, they wouldn't even lift a finger or, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, give yeah. us a nod, you know, it's like, okay, we don't want to be those guys. We want to wave to everybody. In fact, one, we were, we had to ride an interstate in Oregon and we were riding on the interstate, which is actually pretty safe. Uh, cause they have a wide shoulder. It's not East coast interstates. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and we had trucks honking for us, you know, like cheering us on, you know, we're on yeah, the big yeah. climb up the hill, you know, it, it was so cool. Then we had other trucks honking for us for other reasons, you know. <laughs> I, I can imagine you probably pissed yeah. a few people off along the way. Right? Yeah, we did. We don't make an omelet without breaking eggs. Right. It was on the road. Yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure. So you did. You just said you were on a trail, like a, an off-road trail, or yeah, we we found a few uh, in Oregon. They had amazing trails uh, that was like right along the Columbia River. We kind of followed the Columbia River from uh, from Portland all the way to Lewiston, Idaho. And Oregon has an amazing trail system and these are paved bike trails. Okay. Yeah. Uh, which is pretty, pretty amazing. Now we, uh, we rode that until we couldn't, uh, then the trail went like way off into the woods and up over the hills. And we're like, forget that we're riding the interstate, you know, in the middle of nowhere. Because we had, you know, you know, if you're on a single track and if you're a cyclist, you know what a single track is. It's just like a little path, you know, that you're on in the woods. Well, we had bikes with bags on them and, our supplies and they were heavy and single track just wasn't going to work, you know, especially if you're doing switchbacks up a mountain. Uh, so it was like, yeah, we're not doing that. That's we're crazy, but not quite that crazy. And so we're crazy enough to ride the interstate. <laughs> and and, and you were uh, mostly, you were carrying all your gear, right? We were carrying our gear, most of our gear. Now we had tents and sleeping bags that we left in the RV that those were kind of the backup if we needed them. Um, and most of the time, our support crew was within, within a couple hours of us. Um, they didn't really stay with us, but uh, they were always in kind of hovering in the vicinity so that if we needed help. Now, during the, the, the mountains in Montana into Wyoming, going through Yellowstone, they had a, a family thing they had to go to back in California. So they had to duck out for a week. So I give Joe a hard time because like during the hardest part of our ride in Yellowstone, you left us. <laughs> some support group, Joe. Way to go. Some man. support. Yeah, right. <laughs> no, but it was. And there we had to carry our tents and our sleeping bag and stuff like that. But we ended up not having to use them. And thank God, because we had two days of 40 degree rain in Yellowstone oh. and it was miserable. And we ended up finding the last uh, hotel room that they said was a deluxe queen room. It was more like a non-deluxe single bed, you know, barely enough room for one person, let alone two guys with bicycles, you know. They took the picture from up here, I think. It came yeah, I did. Yeah, right? I did. Yeah. <laughs> I slept on the floor and John got, got the bed that night, but uh, it was pretty miserable. But we were thankful for a roof over our heads because it was pouring down rain outside, you know, cold rain, bears, you know, things like that, you know, we didn't have to worry about. So we were nice and dry. I'm going to be a kind of a, a douchebag here, but you know, like, it sounds like you missed your chance to make another documentary. <laughs> like I'm just throwing that out there, like a little bit of a couple camera crews floating around and this, this would be a documentary, right? Well, we actually did capture quite a bit of our trip. Uh, we had GoPros with us. Okay. And so I'm sitting on the footage. It's okay. Sitting I, on the footage. I'm, I'm probably going to be developing like a short YouTube series on it. Yeah. Uh, with with that footage now i'll have to do a lot of like narrating because we didn't like actually like turn the camera on us and talk sometimes we're riding did. a bike, we're riding a bike. yeah, yeah. <laughs> i'm i know there's people out there that can do that but not yeah. everyone like yeah but i feel like too that that's all you're telling a whole nother story here that's that to right. me is extremely interesting because now i'm like well 
I retire in five years. And, you know, I've always talked about doing these like endurance challenges mm -hmm. and like, you know, most of them involved, there was one that I'm still looking at that involves a bike, but like most involved running. Um, mm -hmm. But I think I'd rather do it on a bike and do something like that Maine to Florida, you know, just for this experience of it. all. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, this for me was, you know, I'm not an athlete. I'm, I'm not, uh, you know, a world-class athlete, like my friend, Ryan Van Duzer, the, the YouTuber that we follow, he, we're actually friends now. And, uh, I mean, he does ultra marathons you know, he does hundred mile Craziness. marathons, crazy stuff. But anyway, and he told us, he said, look, the first two weeks on, on your ride are going to train you. And we're like, yeah, you can say that you run a hundred miles, you know, you know, with barely a breath. And, uh, but he was right. The first two weeks trained us. I mean, we, we, we had training ahead of time. We spent, you know, a couple of months riding, uh, mostly training the backside. You know? yeah, so, so that was a question <laughs> that came up when I was telling someone I was interviewing you today about this. They're like, ask him about his ass. Like, yeah. personal it, there. <laughs> that I had, yeah, I had problems. And there's That's this amazing, amazing cream called button butter that uh, we used every day. Yeah, it was very helpful, but I still had some issues. And yeah, there was days that was painful. You know, uh, I learned too that uh, the type of seat you have is so important. Um, we had these seats that we bought that had a little bit of cushion in them. And I kind of discovered it's probably not the right kind of seat to have. You want a more firmer seat. Mm -hmm. It just works better. And actually the last three or four days, we, we actually came by home here and I swapped out seats for the last couple of days because I was in some pain and that actually helped. Uh, to have a firmer seat, the which seat sounds, you know, opposite. It sounds upside down, but it's actually true. Um, Mine is a hundred percent uncomfortable, like a hundred percent hard, like mm -hmm. on, on my road bike is just like, you don't want to be in it, but it's, yeah. it's, excuse me. And also too, like, to me, you don't want your weight and you, you've ridden a lot further than I have, but I don't want my weight in the seat so much as I kind of mm -hmm. want it up and forward. Mm -hmm. Right. Like, yep. Yep. So when people talk about that, like what those little seats and this, that, like I'm barely on it, you know, I'm a yeah. little, so I don't have a lot, you know, riding on. 60, you know, average of 61 miles a day, you know, you're going to sit a lot. Yeah. Uh, now post ride, I'm dealing with basically what's tennis elbow with my, with my, Oh, arm. from being kind of like, from being out like this, you yeah, know? Yeah. And so I'm really dealing with that on, on, on my right elbow right here. It's actually a pain right here. That spot right there. And, um, so I'm kind of working through that, but it never affected me on the ride. And, this is, you know, in the two weeks that we've been home now, that's been an issue. And, and someone told me the other day, well, you know what that means? You just got to go out and ride again. Yeah, you got to ride again. That's exactly what's going to be my answer. Like you should be sitting right now. You should be on this podcast riding and just talking to me right now. That's yeah. what your body's telling you. You have to listen to your yeah. body. I know. Uh, like you're clearly not. It's bad, bad thing. I got to break the news to my wife though. Okay. How do I do that? Yeah. But if you ride in the house, it'll just be you spinning on the bike all the time. But you know what? I, I tried that. I actually have a, a thing that I bought and I mount the bike on it and I hate it. Yeah. I hate it the just, trainer too. I yeah, hate I just, it. I just hate it. Uh, I mean, I, I do, I work the elliptical. We have an elliptical here. I use that, but uh, yeah, I mean, I did get out and ride on Sunday. I rode with my wife. We, uh, who, who, who doesn't like to ride on the road. So we just kind of rode around town here, but uh, yeah, it was, and I have this this band thing now that I put on my arm, which yep. puts pressure on that nerve, yeah, which really helps. Yeah. Do it yeah. For their knee, for their arm. Yep. Yeah. Which really helps. So, uh, I'm trying to avoid going to the doctor. My wife is like, you should probably go see the doctor. I was like, ah, you know, yeah, I give it a little bit longer. You know, <laughs> yeah. You're still functioning, right? Like, uh, right. Yeah. I'm, I'm fine. <laughs> rush into the doctor, you know, I, I, and again, too, I love riding. 
I love riding with my wife, but she's had just recently had a knee replacement. Mm. Um, so she doesn't want to get back out there yet. And I e understand that. <laughs> what's that have to get an e-bike and get her on the e-bike. That no, doesn't count. Like it doesn't count because if we're not out there arguing together, like when I go out for a ride by myself, it's kind of boring because like, I don't have her yelling at me that like, I'm either going too fast or she doesn't want to do this climb or shut up. Like, I like that. That's like a drive for me to be like, yeah. just keep climbing. Like when I'm yeah. by myself. You know, I have to tell you this, my, my buddy, John, that came with me, we actually, we got along really well. We had one day when we had kind of a, a thing, you know, yeah, out of 65 days, you know, that, that was pretty good. And it was, it was a time where I was not in the best mood that day. I don't know what was going on in my head, but I was just not having fun. And, um, and we had, we had trouble. We had a lot of trouble with, with, with broken spokes because we were carrying weight and, and John weighs a little more than I do. And he was had more trouble than I did uh, at first until we shifted some of his stuff onto my bike. So it kind of even out the load a little bit. And so, you know, we'd hit these cracks in the road or on, on the side of the road that would, it'd bump the bike. And then sometimes you'd ping, you'd break a spoke. And so that was a pain. And so the one, the, the one day we kind of had a, I wasn't feeling the best and, and, you know, he was up ahead and he was hitting these bumps and, and I was like, John, just get behind me. Cause I'm, I'm not hitting the bumps, get behind me. And he was like, you know, he, he, well, he kind of reacted to it and he just pedaled off just <laughs> on his own. I'm <laughs> I listening like, to you. Okay. I pissed him off, you know, <laughs> but that was the only time we talked about it that you know, later that day, we, you know, I was like, Hey, I'm sorry for pissing you off. You know, it's like, Oh, but that was the only time we really had, a moment or we're like, yeah, we don't like each other much that day, but, uh, but we knew better that than most happen. would. You did right. Yeah. Most my wife and I can't make it to the end of the block without <laughs> arguing at least once or twice different when it's your wife, I guess, and yeah. your buddy going cross country. I've never really thought about a broken spoke. I was thinking more of like uh, tires, like, yeah, we didn't have much tire trouble except once. So we had a broken spoke on my bike and we ended up, this is coming into Nebraska. And so I had to fix the spoke. And so as I was fixing the spoke, I punctured, I punctured the tube. Oh, okay. So we were there working on it and I almost had it done. All of a sudden I heard, you know, yeah. And so now we had to, you know, replace the tube. So anyway, we were, we, we were in Nebraska where we had a, a, a two night rest. So we had a day off and they had a bike shop in town that was not open that weekend, but it's open on Monday. So Monday morning, went to the bike shop and they actually, he made a quick repair and we put us all back on the road 25 miles later we were stopping for a bathroom break and i was in the ditch and and my front tire literally exploded oh the tube just blew up and we had some really heavy duty schwalbe tires on on our bikes which are like almost puncture proof so really expensive tires and it damaged that tire so we ended up having to call a support crew, had to go back to the bike shop and they had to replace the tire and replace the tube and all that. But literally we, I thought someone was shooting at us. I was going to say, all, it was that's like all a how it was. Bike. Yeah. Yeah. I was just thankful I wasn't on the bike. Yeah. You know, and, but uh, that was the only time we really had like serious tire trouble. Uh, but otherwise it was just, yeah, it was spoken. Been around but, that once and, you know, like. I work in an inner city firehouse and we fill air tire air and tires is a common it's actually getting less common i guess now with e-scooters because mm. kids get to have e-scooters and not bikes anymore mm -hmm. but again i was early on the job and it wasn't me fortunately but 
somebody was filling a tire for a kid and that thing exploded and mm. everybody was like oh my god like yeah. we got hurt thank god but it was like yeah. holy like yeah all right i'm gonna go really slow like my new one i'm filling tires no matter what now i'm like a little right. bit of air check it a little bit of air check yeah. it i don't feel like yeah this is just so random i guess the tube had been pinched or something and just that rest when i got off the bike and was you know off you know literally off the bike and it was just sitting there and on its own just blew up and so can't believe though that you went cross country and only had that like minor tire issue where i'm I, telling you like, the, the schwabi tires i mean here's a commercial for you know the german made schwabi tires they're 85 dollars a piece but they are worth the investment if you're doing a coast-to-coast -coast ride uh that's the only tire i would use uh for this uh because come in some parts of the country they have these things called goat heads out in nebraska and wyoming this little plant that has this little devil looking spiny thing Oat spikes i guess and it, so you know back during during vietnam the, the the we used to put these terrible things in the forest that would Viet Cong would step on them okay yeah, so it impaled their feet you know that's what it looked like but tiny and they they're they, they kill tires and when we had a lot of people tell us oh watch coming through nebraska make sure you don't get hit by a you know don't don't run over a you know a goat head and we didn't have any problem because we had these nearly puncture proof tires, but I think also it had been pretty wet. And so the goat heads, I don't think had dropped off the plants. So we didn't have to deal with as many. Yeah, but Farby uh, tires. Cause that's what yeah. Mrs. Pip is getting. Cause I swear every other time we go out, I'm on the side of the they're, road. They're amazing. Inner tube. There was a guy that went across Asia and Europe, 15,000 miles had the Schwabi tires, never had a flat. I did like a 70 mile bike tour down the shore and my last three miles, I just rode on a flat tire. Cause I'm like, I'm not changing this. Like I stopped and I knew where I was and I'm like, I just don't, I'm yeah. just fishing. And if I destroy the rim, it means I'm buying another rim. But I'm not, people are like, you should change that. I'm like, shut up. I was like the mean <laughs> cyclist guy. Like, don't tell me what to do. I'm fine. Yeah. But we're, I'm a fan of the Schwalbe tires, but just make sure that the tube you put in is the right size. Cause the first bike shop that, put our tubes in had oversized tubes and they folded them up inside there not a good idea i was gonna say it's not a good idea i can't not a good idea so we out. were we were a week into our ride and john started getting a low tire and we're like what's the deal so we pumped it up and we were in missoula Bonte. no no it, it was in, in lewiston idaho and we went to a bike shop and the guy was like who put these tires in here these tubes in here because all four of our tires had oversized tubes and they had folded them in to get them in there and we're like you got to be kidding me. Those guys are like, we'll never see these guys again. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Literally, like, yeah. get rid of this size, this size fits no one, and these guys will never be back. Yeah. We're, we're going like, to talk yeah. about it on a podcast. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it's like, yeah, we're never going back to that bike shop. So. Wait till you're in the YouTube short, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> Conrad's coming back with a vengeance. <laughs> Two big tires. Uh, yeah. It's awesome, though. How many yeah. states did you go through? Like, just out of my. We went through 13 states. So Washington, Oregon, Idaho, Montana, Wyoming, Nebraska, Iowa, Illinois, Indiana, Ohio, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, Maryland. I feel like if you went Maine to Florida, you'd go through more states almost. <laughs> like you probably well, be right around East there. But Coast, it's just crazy. East Coast, there's more states. In the West, yeah, yeah, are yeah. bigger. They're a lot yeah, bigger. No, for sure. Yeah. But it's just one of those things. Like when you talk to people in the Midwest, like, and you're, and you're like, from like, I could get to you in Maryland in 
two hours, two and a yeah. half hours, whatever it yep. is where I am there, where when you're in Colorado, you're still in Colorado. Right. Yeah, exactly. Texas, and You could go to the other side of Houston in two and a half and, hours and you're still yeah. in Houston. Like, right. You can ride 12 hours into te in Texas and still be in the state. You yeah. Know? yeah it's, so. it's, it's so crazy when you, you think about that and you think about the country and just like our ability here is not what is. Yeah. Everyone else but tell you what, if you ever get a chance to go out there to Montana, Wyoming, um, that the valley south of Missoula, it's called the Bitterroot Valley, and it's where the it's where the document it's where the series uh, uh, Yellowstone is filmed. Oh, okay, yeah. in fact, we came by the ranch that we saw the Yellowstone logo and all that stuff. We took a picture of it, but that valley is absolutely stunning. It's one of the most beautiful places on the planet, and uh, we got to you know spend three days in that valley riding south. And it was that's the thing about riding a bike across the country. You see things for a long time. You know, you see a mountain. And you see it for hours that day and, and you get to absorb it and, and soak it in and think about it. And it's just an amazing experience. And you see, like I say, you know, we, we saw the country slow, Yeah, you know, and appreciate it so much more you, because you it's start you and it's you and your thoughts in a way. You absolutely. Know? Like, absolutely. For whatever those thoughts are, you know, whether they're, so the seat sucks today or the, look they're going to the be good, bad and indifferent the whole time. Yeah. And, and for me, most of the time it was like, I can't believe I'm doing this. Yeah. I can't believe I get to sit here and see this and experience this and, and to, to see the country slow and to see these places that most people don't ever get a chance to see, you know, and especially seeing it as long as we've seen it, you know, sitting in the, in the bike saddle. And, I, and everything too, like in life, it just comes at us so fast, right? Yeah. Everything is fast paced. You know, you're, you're on a, you're on a movie tour, you're making the documentary, you're going here, you're yep. going there. It's just go, 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 go. Yeah. And now, unless you're the, the husband and wife on the tandem, you're actually going slow enough to really yeah. take it in and, and appreciate. Yep. Yeah. And even now it's, it's helped me since the ride, it's helped me just to, Hey, it doesn't matter. We can just rest. We can slow down. We can slow our life down. We don't have to go running everywhere all the time. We can just be, you know, and to, to learn to be, I think is so important to be present, to be present here now. You know, this is what I'm seeing, what I'm smelling, what I'm experiencing, you know, the thoughts that are going through my head to, to be here now and not have to worry about, because what, I mean, what is worry? Worry is about something you can't control in the future. You know, um, if I can be here present, my life becomes, it slows down and becomes better and I can make better decisions and I can, I can think more clearly, you know, for, for the future. And I can say, you know what? Yeah. The future sometimes can be scary to think about, but I'm here now. And it reminds me of my friend, Chris Moore, he's a firefighter down in Chesapeake, Virginia. And he had a therapy dog for a while or, or a support dog. And this dog was trained to, to put pressure on him when he sensed that, that Chris was nervous or was anxious. And he said, what this dog does is said, it brings me to the present. My anxiety is fear about the future, something that I can't necessarily control. But when this dog pressed up against me. Oh, okay. I'm here. I'm right now. I'm safe. Not I'm in a good place. And that's kind of what this bike ride did for me was like, okay, I'm on this bike. 
I have, you know, 65 miles to ride today to my next stop. I'm just going to be, I'm just going to be, and I don't have a choice. I can't just, you know, flick my finger and be at the next spot. I, I can't be anxious about it. I'm just going to experience this one pedal stroke at a time. And by the way, we had 1.1 million pedal strokes across oh the country. <laughs> so throw this in here. After my, epic, uh, yeah, my, my epic, uh, you know, uh, hope for the future and, and just be, but those are my pedal strokes too, by the way. But. Yeah. But that, you know, it was, and it taught me so much about just being in the moment. Yeah, it's so great because we we miss that. You know, life, like Ferris Bueller said, man, if you don't stop and look around for once in a while, life may pass you by, right? And it's that thing where you didn't stop. You were moving the whole time. Yeah. You were able to absorb that. And I feel like that's so important for so many of us, you know, because I'm going a mile a minute every day of my life. I keep saying I'm going to slow down and then I pick up something else that makes me go Mm -hmm. even faster. Mm -hmm. And I'm not going to complain about it because it's what I like. You know, my, my, I say when people ask me all the time, they're like, how are the boys? I'm like, they keep me on my toes because right. I'm keeping up with these two little guys that are doing 8 million things, but it's that you have to be present and you can get very easily lost in the minutia of it all. Oh, absolutely. And, and absolutely. spinning it back to the film, you know, to, to PTSD 911, it's really easy for us to, as emergency responders to just get lost down that path. Yeah, you know, and, and that's where it comes down to being there for each other and sharing mm-hmm. these stories. And I never really thought that about a, um, you know, you see so many people with with service dogs, mm-hmm. and that's just something they can do. That's so simple yeah. to bring that person into the present, right? Right. And I think that's what we need to work on. E- even you know, me as I'm looking at, at this fall tour and traveling a lot, and you know, going from one place to the next, you know, with the film and. And, you know, starting to work on the new podcast and, you know, filling my schedule. And I've really worked hard now to schedule my time and my days so that I have time to be, you know, my meetings, I have my meetings on Tuesdays, today's Tuesday. And so that's, that's my meeting day. I I try not to have any meetings on any other days, just because I want to be able to have time to be. And, and yesterday you know, we got some bad news yesterday and I was able to sit with that yesterday and spend the day because I didn't have anything on my calendar. I was able to deal with that situation, you know, and I was able to be, you know, if I'd had meetings interspersed, it wouldn't have been the same. It'd have been more stress, but I've scheduled my day so that Tuesdays I have my meetings, Thursdays I work on my podcast. And so I record my interviews for my podcast on Thursdays, only on Thursdays. And so that allows me, you know, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday to do, to work on the business, to work on myself uh, in, in, in order to be. And I think that's something that I've learned from others that, that do a similar thing where they schedule their days like that. And I think I'm, I'm looking forward to it, to see the results of that. Yeah. See how it's going to affect you. To see you how it's going to affect you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. To see if it, if, you know, at the end of the year, if, oh, wow, I've done, I've accomplished much more than I could have accomplished because I had that space. I had that, 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 that white page time, you know? And so I think I'm looking forward to seeing what happens. 
I'm excited to see what happens with you too. Cause again, I'm, I'm sort of like that, you know, my life is a, a little not because of the, the schedule, the work schedule, which we all know is uh, I happen to have one of the good ones out there, <laughs> but it's still hard. And even today I'm trying something different. I'm doing marathon podcasting cause my mm. kids aren't here today. So I'm trying to get a lot done Sure. Uh, because August is a big month for me. I'm going on vacation. The audio engineer is going on vacation. Um, but you know, I can be a little vulnerable here because I always am. But like, I worked last night. I worked mm -hmm. twenty four yesterday. Wow. And here I am thinking, like, watch, I'm gonna be up all night, and I have three podcasts scheduled today, and I don't want to drink. I mean, I'm drinking coffee because my my well, my second cup now. But like, I don't want to get, I don't want to mess up my day, and I don't want to cancel on you or anybody. But I didn't want to have to do it this way, but I did. Mm. And I was fortunate last night. We, we got some rest. I uh, wasn't too busy. But it's one of those things that you have to be cognizant, I guess the word is the best, or conscious of what these things can do to you. Yeah. And in the past, I wasn't even thinking about anything mm. like this. And being an older firefighter now, I'm trying to teach the young guys, like, look, you have to be aware that you can't, we used to call it burning the candle at both ends. Mm -hmm. And that statement, I think, has long gone away yeah. because I think everybody just does that in their life. Mm -hmm. So it's that just be. And I feel like I'm taking that now as my my mantra for a while. Yeah, you have to be aware of yourself and, and take care of yourself. Because if I don't take care of myself now, in the future, I'm not going to be good for anyone. Exactly. Including myself. Yep. You know, and so I've got to work. And, and I mean, I'm 58 years old. I, I'm, I'm just learning these things now. I wish I'd have learned this, you know, 30 years ago, well, you know, I, and, and to think where, what, ago, where man, would you I didn't be learn it this way? You were learning other things, right? right. And, and, yeah. and like all those things lead up. Cause I, I talk of that way about myself too, where I'm like, why didn't I know this 20 years ago? Yeah. Like, well, if I knew it 20 years ago, then I probably wouldn't be here today. Just like you're right. You you're right. Today, Cause you didn't yep. know it. And that knowledge that you're 58 years old and you still have a lot to learn. Absolutely. You know, my, my dad is 85 and he tells me things and I'm like, well, you just learned that. And he's like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, you just <laughs> learned that at 85. Good for you. Yeah. You know, and if we're not learning. Yeah. That's shame on us, right? That it is, that it is. Well, yeah. we're getting up to, to our hour mark here that I, that I like to keep these things at, and that I promised you I'd let you get back to all, all your other work today. But, you know, before we get into the size up 10, let everybody know where they can find you, the documentaries, all your stuff that's out there, how they can come to the next couple of screenings. Let's put that sure. on you because maybe I can make one finally. I promise. Sure. <laughs> I don't promise. Sure. If you, if you just go to ptsd911.com, you'll find all the information about the films and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and if you just Google my name, Conrad Weaver, it'll show up in one way or the other. And if you want to see my films that I've produced, the other films I've produced, just go to Amazon and search for my name and you'll find all of them. There's like four films on there that I've produced over the past 10 years. You know, and I wanted to spend some time today too talking about more film production stuff because it just interests me knowing the little end of what I do here on the podcast and, and seeing mm -hmm. things out there. So we're going to have to have a, a part two. And I say this with so many of my guests because it, it's just so interesting how like you're on Amazon not Netflix, not Apple TV mm -hmm. and all these different mediums that we're dealing with yeah. now or not A&E, you know what I mean? Like how mm -hmm. this all works and how you get to these places and stuff. And we're going to have to have a, a, a part due here to talk more. I'd about. love to. I'd but the bike to. ride was more fun to talk about. <laughs> talk about your next adventure. If you wait five years, five years, then maybe I'll join you on one. Okay. okay. And I'll be 50. Well, that makes you feel better too at that time. We'll see what I what my adventure will be in five years. We'll, we'll have to Jesus. Think maybe I don't that, want so. to join you. One thing on my bucket list, I'll tell you this. One thing on my bucket list has been to hike to base camp in Everest. 
no, so, that's that's up there for me. I've thought yeah. about that one. Like, yeah. I, I feel like I have to do some of the smaller mountains first. Sure, right. I mean, that, that's going up to like I think nineteen thousand feet. Is that base camp? So yeah, it's, it's really it's, high. Like it's really high. Yeah, really high. The highest I've been in Colorado was like twelve five at uh, Copper or Winter Park when I was snowboarding out there, mm -hmm. and it was so cool. But I just remember feeling like death, and you know, like yeah. I too much I, like, I summited a mountain, and I was going to do a fourteen or in Colorado when I lived out there, but we did a, did a Hallett peak, which is 12, seven, 12,007. So starting at, uh, down at, at Bear Lake, which is at about 9,500 feet elevation. So it's yeah. crazy too. Cause you answered one of my questions here on, on the size up 10 without even knowing it was coming at you. So mm -hmm. like, I'm still asking it cause maybe you'll give me another one, but like, you know, that bucket list is an important thing. And I feel like for the size up your bucket list, if you don't have a bucket list, make one up. You know what I mean? And, yeah. and, and make them attainable. It's just like a goal. Yeah, absolutely. One's going to ride a bike across the country without training before that. So, you mm -hmm. know, you can make a goal to ride your bike across the country, but you need to do some other stuff before that. Yep. The same with bucket lists. There's a few things on mine that I'll probably never do. Maybe like that Everest one, but it's there. Mm -hmm. You never right. know if you get a chance. Yeah. So. Yep. Yeah. So, uh, so you're asking my bucket list. So well, we're not, well, hold on. That's okay, question eight. Okay. We got to go in order. If I ever <laughs> okay, edit this, I need the order. So I know okay. where they're coming at me. I am the worst at editing Conrad. Like I'm getting better at it. I'm, I'm devoting time each week to editing clips to put out on social media. Gotcha. Um, it's time consuming. It, it, it is. And yeah. here's this is the dumbass that I am just the filing system, like <laughs> where I filed the clips. Mm -hmm. Where did I put these? Yeah. Oh no, I separated them. Which one did I post? Oh, yeah. like now I'm like, I got to start again. I'm such a, yeah. oh, so much. Anyway. All right. The size up 10 with Conrad Weaver here, beach or mountains. Uh, mountains. Nice. Night out or night in. Uh, night in. A good book or a good movie. Book. Cross country road trip. Who's your co-pilot? Oh, my wife. I, I thought you were going to say you're cycling buddy there for a second. So I'm like, let's see how this goes. Do you make your bed every day, except when you're on a bike ride? Yes, I do. A million dollars right now that we don't have on the size up by National Fire Radio or go back to 18 with a redo. Oh, my. Well, I wouldn't want to redo some of the things that I, I've done. So I'd take the million dollars now and do, do good with it. I like it. Oh, and do good with it. So you just had to throw that one in there. Such <laughs> a do-gooder, man. <laughs> I, I think I know this answer too, but highways or back roads? Oh, back roads, always. Bucket list place to visit. You can't say ever a space camp. No. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's a great one. There's so many places. Uh, Switzerland is on my, is, is high on my list. Um, going back to last summer, my wife and I went to Lisbon, Portugal. Oh, awesome. Ever get a chance to go make it a priority because it is amazing. We're going to actually live there. That's our goal. Nice. Is to move nice. there when, when my wife can retire. We're going to go live there for six months, just to do six months in Europe. And but Lisbon is going to be our, our home base. I was supposed to, so I got to go. My brother-in-law was in the Navy. I got to go on a Tiger cruise with him. Uh, we ended up going from Jacksonville, Florida to Virginia Beach on an aircraft carrier, which was mm. very cool. Fun. The initial trip, we were going to go from Portugal to Virginia Beach. Oh, wow. And I was like, I'm going to Portugal a couple of days before. My wife was like, wait, what about? I'm like, you didn't get invited. I'm, you're not on the Tiger Cruise. I'm going to check out Portugal. Then <laughs> we Portugal. can go back. Yeah, Portugal is amazing. It's yeah. absolutely amazing. Yeah, I love awesome. it. I like that one. All right, two more questions here. Football or football? Oh, mm. I don't really watch either, but I would probably, if I'd have a choice, I would probably watch football. Okay. 
it's, it's good. It's a, it's an odd question. It's I know a lot less about that than American football, but uh, I think it's more interesting. Yeah, for and sure. That they have they they their clock goes up to clock goes up. Yeah, that pisses yeah, me. Yeah, which is really weird. Crazy. Like <laughs> like like American sports fans. That's one of their biggest complaints. But it never stops. And then you don't right, know how much time is left. Yeah, exactly. Is, there's all these little things again going. Which back I think to is interesting. Which it makes it makes it an interesting thing. But there are some grass fairies out there, which I'm like, really? He barely got hit, you know? (laughs) But it's part of the game. Like It's part of the game, right? If you watch soccer, we're talking about soccer here for the folks that didn't catch the football reference. It is part of the game, flopping. Just like fighting is part of the game in hockey. You know, that flop. So it used to be different, too, going back to my old school days of when you didn't know how much time was left Mm -hmm. and only the ref knew. You know, that flop may have actually assisted your team in winning. Mm-hmm. Um, now, with the, you see the time, I don't like that so much. That yeah, like, yeah. It's at the end. But, but if right, you'd have asked me about football or hockey, I'd hands down hockey. So, yeah, but see, that's a very easy question. Yeah, for I know. Most people <laughs> like, right? Like, totally easy question. All right, last one here. Last one. Best advice you could give to your younger self? Hmm. Wow. Don't wait on taking adventures. Just go do it. Nice. I like that one. Little Nike reference there too. If, if Conrad always needs sponsors for his movies, <laughs> just throughout, just do it. So, you know, it, you know, it could be a good sponsorship opportunity there, but I, I do. Well, I didn't say what Richard Branson says. You know, he says, screw it, just do it. Yeah, but see, you can't, you can't steal his line. You've you got right? twice That's in the that. podcast okay. now, so you definitely can't. And Nike's not going to pick you up. <laughs> Nike will not pick you up if you run with that line. Right. Conrad, man, I can't thank you enough for coming on. You know, it's been a great conversation. I'm glad we got to reconnect. Well, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure to be on no the show. Worries, man. Everybody out there listening or, or watching here, you know, go check out PTSD 911. The documentary will be out on Amazon on October 28th. That's two days before my birthday for those mm. of you keeping track of a <laughs> birthday present as well. Um, you know, he's going to have a whole bunch of tours coming up, a whole bunch of showings. You did miss him riding his bike across the country, or maybe you saw him or maybe he mm. stopped in your firehouse. So if he did let us know on the social media channels and reach out to us for the size up by national fire radio episode 30, this has been Pip and we'll catch you next time. 